Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. In this series, we are considering men and women of the Bible, what we can learn from them, and observing God's constant faithfulness in the lives of His people. Today we consider the great prophet Elijah. You can find out more about our ministry by visiting us at seaoffire.org, or you can view James' latest videos on YouTube at Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope this message serves to edify the church. Well, as we return, finally, to our series regarding men and women in the Bible, we come across a fantastic man, Elijah. He's kind of the forerunner for the rest of the prophets, especially the major prophets, the prophets that we find in the Old Testament. You know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Obadiah, even the minor prophets, Malachi, and all the rest, Habakkuk, all the rest. He's kind of the first one, and he doesn't write. You know, he does. we don't have a book of Elijah, but he was the first, he's kind of the forerunner into the prophets, and he came to restore the kingdom. At this time, Ahab starts his reign about 58 years after the, the kingdom is divided, and Ahab is an exceptionally wicked king. It says in the Bible, Now Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And he also took his took as a wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Now, this Jezebel, we're not going to talk about her much, but she's a, she's a wicked woman. In fact, she's referred to in, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 2, verse 20, where it says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, the church of Thyatira, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, briefly, Jezebel was more faithful to her gods. She was not interested in syncretism. Remember, we've talked about how the nation Israel would kind of adopt these other gods in addition to Yahweh. You know, Yahweh would be their first god, and then they would adopt these other gods. And that's what's happening here with the Baals, okay? Now, she's zealous for her gods far more than certainly Ahab and the nation of Israel were with Yahweh. She began to destroy all the prophets, which we will see somewhat briefly. But it's important that we introduce this time because just 58 years after the kingdom is divided, this great time of wickedness, of completely, seemingly, pretty much abhorring God himself really just just really focusing their worship on Baal. So Ahab brings in the Baals. Uh, he, he, in fact, builds a temple in honor of Baal in Samaria, in the capital of, of Syria. And so Elijah comes on the scene. Remember in the book of Judges where God would always raise up a deliverer when, when the people cried out though. The people are not crying out here. Now remember, there's a southern kingdom of Judah and they have a great king right now. His name is Asa. Wonderful king. But the, king, the northern kingdom of Israel is, is, is degenerate in much wickedness and much idolatry. Okay, And, and Elijah is coming to restore the kingdom. Now, Again, briefly, this is what somewhat links him to Elijah. Remember in the book of Malachi, at the end of the book of Malachi, he, he prophesies that Elijah will come to bring the hearts of their fathers to their children and bring the hearts of the children back to their fathers, basically to prepare, though, to prepare the way of the Lord. That's really what Elijah is doing as well. It's, 
it's a time of great turmoil insofar as the worship of God is concerned and the truth of God. Now, we'll talk about this somewhat at the conclusion, God willing, but this is a singular man meant, called, and sent for a singular purpose. The nation is completely corrupt. Sacrificing to these other gods, there is much sexual immorality with this. There would be prostitution, temple prostitution, all sorts of things. The god of Molech, the people would sacrifice their children to the god of Molech. Much wickedness, much wickedness, which is going on in our time. Let me just put it that way. Again, just going back to what we've considered already. We need a Deborah of our time. We need a Gideon. We need a Barak. We need a Samson. We need an Elijah. We need a Moses. We need men and women to testify, to restore the church, the kingdom of Christ in this world, the bride of Christ, to restore the name of God in his bride okay but that is what he's called to do to restore the kingdom of israel so again with that brief introduction is insofar as ahab jezebel and elijah's specific specific call he comes he comes and he tells he tells uh, ahab there will be no rain until i say basically you know the lord has come to me and he said i'm going to stop up the heavens now baal Baal is supposed to be the god of the weather, you know, he's supposed to, and that's going to be important, so remember that as we go along. So he's supposed to control the thunder, the lightnings, all these, all this stuff. So when, when God sends a famine, sends this drought, so to speak, to cause a famine, it's really to also show Baal is absolutely powerless. He has no power whatsoever, and that's what leads into the standoff, you know, the, the, the battle, so to speak, between Elijah and all the prophets of Baal, which we will consider somewhat shortly. Now, in Deuteronomy, um, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse uh, 16 to 17, it says, Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there is no, there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord has given you. So, remember, they are now in the promised land. The people are now in the promised land. You know, we saw all the all the despotism even before this, as Joshua, you know, little after Joshua had delivered them into the promised land. But the people are not satisfied with Yahweh. Let's just put it that way. But they are in the promised land. And just before this famine, actually. A man named Hael rebuilds Jericho. And remember, when Jericho fell, Joshua prophesied that the Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. And if you look at the last verse of uh, chapter 16, it says, In his days, so in Ahab's days, Hael of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation with Abiram his firstborn, and with his youngest son, uh, Segub, he set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. So again, this, this is something that Joshua had prophesied about, and the people seemingly just don't care. They are going, they are purposefully going against the word of God, okay? And that's why God sends this famine, he sends this drought, because again, according to his promise in Deuteronomy. So he goes to Ahab, and he tells him, there will be no rain, except according to my word. And then God sends him to this brook, 
Now, Josh, I mean, uh, Elijah is actually from a place in Gideon, and Gideon is actually on the east side of the Jordan. So remember those tribes that were that began on the other side of the Jordan. So you have that half tribe of Manasseh that he's likely from. Okay, Elijah also is somewhat like Melchizedek insofar as we don't have any record of his beginning. You know, we don't have a word from his father or his mother, and seemingly no end of days. He's caught up in a chariot of fire to ascend into heaven. So he's kind of he's. He's special in that regard. But just after he pronounces the judgment to Ahab, he goes to this brook where God says, drink the water from this brook and I will provide for, for you with these ravens. Now, I don't know how much you love ravens. I'm not a fan. I mean, it makes me think of Edgar Allan Poe and I've, I've been a fan of Poe's. I mean, it's, it's dark, but I was a fan since high school, you know. And so, you know, the raven in, in particular. So... He's not, God isn't sending these beautiful winged creatures from heaven to, to assist him and to provide for him. You know, as we've seen throughout the word of God, he sends these kind of gross, kind of dark uh, birds. And, but ravens don't even care for their, their offspring so much and they don't eat meat. So God has specifically made these birds, made these ravens to provide for his prophet that which they wouldn't even provide for themselves or their children, okay? So, again, this, one of the most difficult things to do with this, with this is to be brief. Brevity is not a strong point of mine, but we're going to have to be somewhat brief and return to this, God willing. However, so that's what happens, okay? Now, once the, once the brook runs dry because of the drought, you know, because of the drought, God sends him to this widow of Zarephath. Uh, what is it? Yeah, Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and he dwelt there. And God even said, see, I've commanded a widow to provide for you, basically. And he comes, he comes to this widow, he finds this widow, and he asks her for a cup of, a cup of water, you know, some water. And she starts to go. And he says, also, could you go ahead and prepare me a cake? Could you get me, get me a morsel of bread? And she says, Love to do that, <laughs> but uh, you know we just have a little bit left in this jar. That's why I'm picking up these sticks so I can prepare it for my son and myself, and we can eat it and then die because this is all we have. This is the last thing we have. So I'd love to help you out, but this is all we have, you know, for my son and myself. So I'll get you your water, but but uh, Elijah comforts her, and but he also tells her. No, go ahead and make, make me a cake of bread and then make something for yourself. God is going to provide this jar, this tin is never going to be emptied. Okay, through the providence of God, this never goes out. Okay, so he's, he commands her to first serve him and then to trust in God, basically, to provide for her as well. And there's much to be considered there that, again, God willing, we will return to this and consider this. However, so she does. She does. She goes and makes him a cake of bread, so to speak, and then she makes more for, uh, for uh, uh, the widow and, and her son. Now, what ends up happening, after some time, her son gets, gets severely ill, so, so much so that there's no more breath in him. So he obviously perished. He died. And the widow is obviously very sad, but he, she comes to him and she says, 
What, have you what do you have to do with me, O oh man of God? Is this why you came? To bring all my sin up against me and, and judge me by taking my son? And Elijah takes her son and he goes up into his own chamber into his own chamber, lies him down on his, on his bed, again, much to be considered here, and then lies over him really to, to, to bring the warmth back into this cold, dead body. And he prays to God, though, have you also brought turmoil against this woman, against this widow? I'm going through turmoil. You've called me to do this. I'm, I'm completely isolated. I'm all alone. I'm sent off to this brook and hope, you know, and trust you to provide me, provide for me with a great and so forth are you really causing this widow to suffer as well who you called me to so he does this he, he he gets you know he lies himself on this on this child three times and prays fervently to God and God hears him and he awakes and he and Elijah takes the son to the widow and that's where she says um, then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Now Jesus himself refers back to this uh, in Luke. No, I'm sorry. Should be more. No. Yeah, Luke 4 22. I'm sorry. It's this one here. So Jesus said to them, you will surely say that this is when he's in Nazareth. Remember, you will surely say to the, surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we've heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, surely I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country, which we've considered somewhat briefly. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. So Elijah's his pu Elisha is Elijah's uh, pupil, basically. He's going to be the prophet that follows him, which we will who we will consider next week, God willing. And none of them was cleansed except for Naaman the Syrian. So this widow is a Gentile. So again, I just want to make, make the point that so many people think that the Old Testament is specifically to, just for Jews and just for Israel, never went out to the Gentiles, which isn't the case. This woman, this widow, this unnamed widow, is a Gentile. She is not an Israelite. And God sends Elijah, his prophet, to this woman, to this Gentile, to this widow, because God is amazing. So I, again, just wanted to make the point that the exclusivity of, of God insofar as his provision for his people and his faithfulness to his people applies to his people, not just to the Jews, not just to the Israelites, and specifically not only just to Christians. We are, when we are all in Christ, he still calls us to go find the widows and the, the Sidonians and the Gentiles to bring to himself. And that's what he does with Elijah. And that's what, that's what Jesus Christ is saying. You know, y'all are all 
bent up about this this whole Gentile thing. He's in his hometown, and he's basically saying, you know, no prophet is without honor except in his own country, basically around you people, because you're so familiar with me. But remember Elijah? Remember Elisha? They weren't sent, to, you know, during that whole famine, during this whole pestilence, they weren't sent to, you know, for the Israelites or for any Jews specifically. They were sent to these Gentiles, people outside of the covenant of Israel. Okay, awesome, awesome. God is amazing. Okay, so then after the three and a half years, Elijah sends a message to Ahab basically to come out to him. Now at this time, a man named, a prophet named Obadiah, and it's most likely a different Obadiah than there's there's an Obadiah in the Old Testament, very small book, very short, um, but it's most likely a different man okay now Obadiah is basically the servant of Ahab but as we have talked about as we've discussed he will not obey a command that God forbids and he will he will not he will not withdraw or not do a, a command that uh, God commands okay so Obadiah secretly Jezebel wants to kill all these prophets and Obadiah actually takes a hundred of them and hides them out in caves. Two groups of 50 in either cave. That way there will be survivors. If they find the group of 50 in one, there's still another, a faithful remnant. Okay. So he provides for these prophets and he feeds them and he cares for them and so forth. Now, Ahab, since the drought, you know, there's no food, he's trying to provide for all the animals for warfare. Okay. And so he decide, he, he tells uh, Obadiah, look, we need to find some some sustenance for these animals. Look, you go this way, and I'll go this way. And that's what they do. And, Obad and Obadiah, when Obadiah went his way, Elijah came to him. And he says, go tell your master Ahab that Elijah is here. And Obadiah is scared. He's like, uh, what have I done? What have I done to sin against you? What have I done to sin against God? Because I know what's going to happen as soon as I go to Ahab and tell him that you're here. God's going to whisk you away somewhere else. And then he's going to kill me. And Elijah says, no, don't worry. I will, I will remain. I will be here. Okay. And so he does. He goes and tells Ahab. And Ahab comes and he says, Are you, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah says, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So this king, this wicked king, accuses Elijah of being the troublemaker of Israel which happens in our world. You know, the Christians always stirring up trouble. You know, their righteousness and so forth, they just won't let us do this whole abortion thing. These wicked people, when they are the wicked ones. And we are here to, to do all we can to stop this heinous evil. But we are accused as, as being the troublemakers. Elijah makes it perfectly clear. No, no, that's not exactly how this is. Ahab, you're the troublemaker. Your father's house, since the, this kingdom was divided, since Solomon even, Solomon started this whole thing, and now it continues. And you are the most wicked one, Ahab. So now, bring all of Israel to this Mount Carmel, to Mount Carmel, which is a very important mountain, 
Again, we will consider another time, God willing. However, it's a very important mountain. Bring all of Israel to here. Bring all 450 prophets of the Baals. You know, you don't know about the 100 prophets that Obadiah is taken care of, but bring all these prophets. Elijah thinks he's the only one left, which we will consider somewhat briefly after a little bit. So, he says, bring all your prophets, 450 from uh, the prophets of Baal, 400 from the Asherahs. Okay? And so they do. Right? They come to this mountain. Okay? And I'm just going to kind of summarize the story. Okay? It's a wonderful story. It's probably the most popular story with, uh, with uh, Elijah. So, they come to this mountain. And, and basically, remember, Baal is supposed to be the god of thunder, the god of lightning, the god of the weather basically and so elijah proposes look it's just me against you 950 or 850 right let's do this you build an altar right you set up an altar right here i'll set up an altar but you 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 set up your altar you can't burn a fire don't kindle a fire your god is supposed to be powerful enough to rain down fire from heaven okay so prepare your sacrifice put it on this altar put it on this altar and call up to your god and whoever's, who, whichever God consumes the sacrifice with fire, he is God. And everybody's agree, everybody agrees to this. Okay? Everybody agrees to this. And so, they do that. And they start from dawn, basically. They start crying out to Baal. Crying out to their gods. And just continue. And they're doing these dances, this limping. In fact, just real quickly, in the beginning of this, Elijah asked the people, How long will you limp between two gods? If Baal is God, serve him. But if Yahweh is God, serve him. And that's where this, this starts. Now, the same word for limping with that is actually what these prophets are doing. They're just doing these seances. They start cutting themselves after Elijah starts making fun of them. So they're crying out. They're crying out to Baal. And Elijah starts saying, scream louder. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's gone off on a vacation. Maybe he's gone off to war. You know, scream louder. Maybe he just can't hear you. He's mocking them. So again... Rather than this meek and Gentile Christian, we must mock the ridiculous. We must. That, that is our calling. We don't, we don't defame that which doesn't deserve being defamed. But it, when somebody is determined to go against God with a bunch of nonsense, then we make it clear that it's nonsense. Th that's not wrong. That's great. That's good. And hope and praise... God willing, he will bring people to himself through that. Most likely not these prophets, most likely not these most degenerate people, but someone, some people, which Israel do, does turn back. So he starts to, you know, make fun of them. And that's where they start slicing themselves is something that, you know, still occurs in the cultic practices of different religions and different wayward ways that, that people think that if they if they hurt themselves and they're sacrificing their own bodies to their God and therefore they're you know appeasing them and therefore they will do whatever they ask for and that's basically what these prophets are doing they're just going around crazy you know and just with these same old seances until noon until noon and basically then it's uh, it's Elijah's turn he rebuilds this altar that Ahab had busted down. Okay, this altar that had been around for a long time. Okay, he rebuilds it. And he makes a trench around it. A trench of water. Trench of water. And pours water, has people pour water over on it, on the altar and on the sacrifice three times. Three times. 
I mean, water and fire don't really mix well together. Okay? And he just sit and prays this simple prayer. Um, sorry. Uh, okay, here we go. So he said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord he is God. The Lord, he is God. So, done with all these ridiculous seances. Okay, now they start praising their maker. They, they, are, they are restored to their creator. And remember, the, in the Hebrew, when they were to repeat something, that's for emphasis. So they're praising God totally, basically, to put it simply. Okay, now... When he prays, you know, Lord God, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all things at your word. This is much like Christ at Lazarus' Lazarus's tomb. When he prays and he says, thank you, Father, for you have heard me. You always hear me, but thank you for this time. We're going to consider Lazarus in our next message. So just very briefly, it's much like what Jesus was saying. You know, this is, this is to show everybody that I am the resurrection and I am the life okay but but this is the same kind of a thing Elijah saying please Lord God show that you are God and show that you have called me to this purpose please rain down fire on this sacrifice and it's a simple prayer very quiet he's not yelling he's not cutting himself he's not exercising ridiculously all we do is pour out our hearts to our God Okay, no matter how, what kind of prostration you can, and, and you should, we should all fall to our faces before the throne of grace. However, don't think that just because you do that, he will hear you. Don't debase yourself more and more to earn his ear. He is God. He is God. Pray. We love our God. We love God with all of our minds, with all of our souls, with all of our hearts, and with all of our souls. And then he hears us. We don't need to cut ourselves. We don't need to repeat all these mantras and nonsense. We pray simply and boldly. Remember, entering boldly into the throne of grace. Okay, so then after this squabble, <laughs> well, Elijah does have everybody chase after to kill the prophets. When you're a false prophet, that was the death sentence. For many reasons, but basically you're turning the hearts of the people to idolatry. You are taking, you are turning the people away from God. So you must be cut down. There's much to be said about this, in fact. But this is absolutely just. It's a huge deal. That's why, again, within the church, when we find a false teacher, we're not, you know, we don't kill him, but we take him out of the, out of the pulpit, so to speak. And hopefully reprove him and and rebuke him and and you know God willing he will be restored into the grace of God into the fellowship of of the brothers and sisters of Christ. However, he must never enter the pulpit again. He is leading the flock astray. Look how many warnings we've read about Paul telling the people to take heed. This is important. This is essential. God is God, and there is no other. 
And if any man or if any woman is going to turn the hearts and minds away from him, they must be cut down. All right. Now, after this, and especially after all these prophets are, are fallen, Jezebel isn't a big fan of Elijah. And so she, said, she sends a message out to him, basically, unless I do this to you by tomorrow, you know, basically, then the, um, so let it be, so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life, it's the life of, of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So when he saw that, when he heard that, he took off. Elijah's all alone. Okay, that's just important to recognize that he's all alone and he's fleeing because of fear. He's, you know, he trusts in the providence of God, but he knows this woman is wicked and she's been trying to kill all the prophets. As far as Elijah knows, she has killed all the prophets of, of Israel. So he flees, okay? And so he, he ends up going to this, this mountain now, verse 11 of chapter 19. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice for all of God's judgments for all of his loud judgments and for all of the terrible tragedies that happen in this world you know justly justly you know he he will tear down mountains Jesus even said said if you have faith to believe basically you you can tell this mountain to move and it'll move over here right <laughs> you know you you have this power because of God right so with all these things and the earthquake especially after Christ's crucifixion Fire is very filled in Elijah's ministry. We're going to have to recognize that as well, okay? And remember, John the Baptist said, you know, one's coming after me who's much greater than I am. He basically, I baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, okay? Now, so much of Elijah's ministry involves fire. Remember, just what we just considered with his confrontation with the prophets of Baal. Fire, 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 all, all sorts of fire all over the place. He's taken up in a chariot of fire. Okay. So, just after that, or during this time, he's on this mountain. This wind blows, the rocks, the mountains start tearing apart. God was not in that terrible destruction, okay? Then an earthquake. God was not in that earthquake. He's putting Elijah here to listen for God. And God was not in that earthquake. Then a fire, much fire, and God was not in this fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. For all of the tragedies, for all of our great meditations upon God, our God is so compassionate and so gentle with his people. He, he, he knows Elijah's going through this. He's putting Elijah through this. And so he's saying, I know the rocks in your heart are, are breaking apart. You know, I know you're being destroyed inside. I know your soul is shaken. Your confidence is shaken. I know the fire is starting to go out in your heart because of fear. Do not let that happen. Listen to this still, small voice. Put away, put away the broken mountains. Forget about the earthquake. 
Forget about the fire for now. Listen to me. Listen to me. Still, small, peaceful voice. After all this chaos, after all this chaos, God comes in absolute peace. So it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle, which is his cloak, and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have, have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. See, he, he thinks he's the only one left. He's the only one faithful to God now, according to him. That's all he sees. He's been alone this whole time. And fortunately, he, he believes that this, this widow is a believer, but she's a Gentile. She's not going to come and, you know, prophesy. She's not a prophetess. So he's basically saying, I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go return your, on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria, which... It, it, much to be considered there. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. Jehu, which we will consider somewhat, probably in a couple of weeks, God willing. He, he's a wonderful king. He's, he, he has some issues, but he's a good king. He's a good king. He's supposed to take over. Okay. Uh, and Elisha, the son of uh, Shaphat, uh, of Abel uh, Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So this is, this is when he's going to find Elisha. Okay. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. We've discussed this somewhat briefly. I, I love to, to think of, you know, it seems like the faithful preaching of God's word is so, is so lacking. Okay, and it's hard to find some, but what encourages me, what I know for sure, is that God still has remnant that have not bowed the knees to Baal and has not kissed him. There is a faith, there are faithful men, ministers in his service and for his service. So, though, though it's we seem to be starving for men, for faithful men to preach his word. They are out there. We just don't always see their faces. They don't get the publicity. The world hates them. The world hates Christ. They will hate his faithful ministers. So, but God always has a remnant that will not bow the knee. So we departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing... Uh, with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said, and so Elijah said to him, Go back again, what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh, using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. We will consider Elisha so this account a little bit more next week, God willing. So we'll turn to uh, 2 Kings chapter, well, let's start at uh, chapter 1 actually. I know I didn't, you know, I didn't send that for you all to read. However, what happens is Ahaziah, uh, the, the, after Ahab dies, his son Ahaziah takes over. 
and he falls through the lattice, okay, and hurts himself, injures himself severely, and he sends his men out to go inquire of the Baal, inquire of Baal whether or not he's going to be okay. And Elijah hears of this, and he and he sends a message message to him. Um, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the, the God of Akron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, Why have you come back? This is Ahaziah. So they said to him, A man came up to meet us and said to us, Go return to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord God is because, just what we, were, just what we had said. So Ahaziah said to them, what kind of man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? And they answered him. They answered him this. A hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. That's, a, that's John the Baptist. That's John the Baptist. John came just like Elijah. Driven into the wilderness just like Elijah. Okay? Many comparisons. But this one specifically as well. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50 men. So he does this, right? He sends his captain of 50, well, a captain over 50 men to go and destroy Elijah, basically. And then, so Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, If I'm a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And a fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Then he sent him, so then Ahaziah sent another 50. And Elijah does the same thing, okay? Then Ahaziah sent another 50, and the third captain of the 50 with his 50 men, the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, Man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look. This is not one of the, these times of fear, like he saw what happened with the other captains, and so I'm going to genuflect and hope that Elijah just overlooks all this and doesn't consume us with fire. He comes to him and, and calls him a man of God. It's just another name for prophet. It's just another name for prophet, okay? So he comes to him, falls on his knees. This man is genuine. This man is genuine. Whether it's because of what happened with the confrontation with the prophets of Baal or what happened to these captains, who knows? But God has awakened this man. He is an Israelite. And, you know, again, just like Obadiah was a servant for Ahab, this is a, this is a captain who's serving Ahaziah. But still, he will not do that which the Lord forbids. Okay? And so he comes and he, and he falls on his knees and he pleads to Elijah to spare his life and the life of his, uh, his men. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burnt up the first two, these first two captains of fifties with their fifties, but let my life now be precious in your sight. And the angel of the Lord said to, said to Elijah, go down with him, do not be afraid of him. So he rose and went down with him to the king. Then he said to, the, then he said to him, thus, thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baal's above. Now Baal's above means the Lord of the flies. Uh, so I'm sure you've heard of the Lord of the Flies, and there's much to be considered here. He is referred to in the in the New Testament. So God willing, we will we will take some time um, at some point. Uh, th so he tells him exactly what he had already said. You're not coming down from your bed. You're going to surely die. And Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken, because he had, he had no son. Jehoram became so. Jehoram is his brother. He became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. So Jehoshaphat was Asa's son, and he's now king during this time. Okay, 
Now, chapter 2. This is where Elijah is sentenced, and we will read up until um, verse 18. And it came to pass, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by whirlwind, that, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elisha said to Elijah, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. Bethel, right? But Elisha says, said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to, they went down to Bethel. Now the, now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? All the prophets know. All the prophets know that, that he is going to be taken up this day. And he said, so Elisha said, yes, I know. Keep silent. I don't want to hear this. I already know. I don't, want, I don't want to hear this. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know, do you know, uh, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord So one final time, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on, and fifty of fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them in a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, uh, rolled it up, so his cloak, rolled it up and struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Okay, very briefly. Why did he tell Elisha three times to stay here? It doesn't say in the in the narrative, but I mean, that's the most obvious question. Now, again, a bit of speculation, but I think it's warranted. Elijah was absolutely alone throughout his whole ministry. It, it, it's a, he's a suffering servant. All the men of God who are, who are committed and called for this purpose are absolutely alone. The world is their enemy. Everybody hates them. Everybody hates them. He does not want this for Elisha. The ministry is very, is very difficult. It's very difficult. It takes a toll. It takes a toll. And so he doesn't want this to happen. You know, he doesn't want to force this upon Elisha. Okay, so he's asking him. And he's testing him, though. He's also testing him. Stay here, man. I'm, I'm going up, but, you know, just, just hang out. Okay, you don't want any of this, man. You know, just live your life, enjoy it. The kingdom is restored as best as it can be, all right? So just stay here, and Elisha will not. He is faithful to his master. He's a true disciple of Elijah. So he goes with him. And this happens three times. And then finally, when they're at the Jordan, Elijah takes his cloak, and he rolls it up and hits the water, and again, the waters are divided, and Elisha and he passed through. And so it was, when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Now, we'll see that Elisha actually performs twice as many miracles as Elijah. Okay, so many people speculate that he's just asking for the power, the power from Elijah. No, he's asking for this double, the double portion of your determination. You went through this all by yourself. 
all by yourself. You called me after this. You know, I've been, I'm, I'm a latecomer. Okay, you came to me, but either way, you've been by yourself in the wilderness by yourself. I need your courage. Whatever spirit God has filled you with, I need double that amount so I will remain faithful and true and I won't balk at the first sign of danger that comes my way. That I will be filled with your same boldness and your same tenacity to serve God. So he said, Elijah said, you have asked a hard thing. You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into, by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when, he, and when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Now, so Elijah, Elisha is now just being granted this double portion of Elijah. So he strikes the water first, doesn't say anything to God first. He just figures this is what Elijah did, right? And it doesn't doesn't divide. So he asks, where's the Lord God of Elijah? And right after he asks that, tries it again, and sure enough, the water's divided. Because it's not Elijah. It's not the power of Elijah that's causing the division of the waters or bringing down the fire from heaven. It is God. It is God. So once he knows from whence this power comes, then he is given the same, same gifts as his master had. And again, we will consider Elisha next week, God willing. However, this singular man stands out in the pages of the Old Testament. Look, there are many special men and women that God has raised up. Many that we have considered, many who we have considered. And so the faithfulness of David is special in a different way. Okay? But this man comes on the scene. One man, one man, to confront a nation full of idolaters, a nation full of people who have gone away from the Lord our God. And he is determined by his calling, by his gifting, to restore all things. John the Baptist came on the scene baptizing Jews, and we've talked about that somewhat briefly, with the water. He says, I baptize you with water, but there is one coming after me who will baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. This Elijah also came to prepare the way of the Lord to his people. To his people. That is what John the Baptist was doing. The king is coming, and you're not ready. The, Elijah, Elijah, the kingdom now is not what it should be. We must turn back to the Lord our God to be a faithful kingdom. This is what we asked for, and we have cut it asunder already. But now we've got two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And this northern kingdom, which is still called by the name of Israel, 
has gone completely away from the Lord. So he came to restore all things. Briefly, I, I would be to God we have some time to consider the transfiguration at some point. I wanted to talk about it today, but it's so, you know, it, again, my strength is not brevity. And so um, there's just too much to be considered here. However, when, when Jesus and the three are coming down, from Peter, uh, James, and John, remember his faithful friends, when they're coming down from the mountain, right? Elijah and Moses were just up there. Peter thinks, you know, Peter wants to build tabernacles for them, right? You know, it's this is fantastic that we're here. Look, let's just set up some tents for you guys and let's just let's hang out here forever, right? And, and so, but then uh, God, uh, God the Father, speaks audibly, this is my son, listen to him. You know, I know you've been raised under the teaching of Moses and you've seen the story of Elijah and you know that he's coming again to prepare the way and so forth. But this is my son. Listen to him. And they all fall on their faces. And by the time they look up, the Elijah and Moses are gone. And Jesus is there. And they start descending the mountain. And, and Jesus says, though, tell nobody of this until I am risen. Until I rise again. And then these guys start talking amongst themselves about the resurrection. Right? <laughs> you know, who knows what they're, they're talking about. Because they, they had their own ideas about what the resurrection was. And we'll get into that somewhat briefly in our next message. So they start talking among themselves. And, and, and uh, then Peter asked Jesus, why does it say Elijah is supposed to come first, before the Messiah comes? We believe that you're the Messiah. But I don't remember any Elijah coming until this, right? <laughs> until this mountain of transfiguration. Now he's gone. So why does the scripture say that Elijah is supposed to come first? And Christ says, uh, indeed, Elijah has come, and he has restored all things. He has come to restore all things. And if you can believe it, Elijah had come. He came in the form of John the Baptist. And there's much to be said about this. But John the Baptist and Elijah came to restore all things. They came to restore, to prepare the way of the Lord, to prepare the way of Christ for his people, to his people. To, bring, to change the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the hearts of the children back to their fathers. This is the providence of God. This is the faithfulness of God. He will use a singular man. He will use a singular woman. And God willing, he will use his church to bring those outside of the gates, outside of the sheepfold, into the kingdom, into the everlasting kingdom of God. We have a most sacred testimony a most sacred testimony full of these times that should encourage his people. Yes, yes, suffering in the wilderness and being fed by ravens, I, you know, that doesn't sound like a party to me. However, serving God, suffering for, the, that's what I'm saying, suffering for the, time, for the cause of Christ, for the cause of God. What is a raven? What is the discomfort of a raven? Paul, Paul talks about, I am, I am convinced that whatever struggles, you know, whatever happens to us in this life is not worthy to be compared to the glory we will have in eternity. And that's true. The closer you are to God, the more you know your Savior. There's no joy like that. There's no joy like that. You cannot enjoy anything in this world like that, including your spouse, including your spouse. So compared 
to the vanities of this world and the struggles and the turmoils and their hatred, God's love is pure. His still, small voice reverberates within the souls of his people. Our God truly is an awesome God. And he reigns from heaven above. <laughs> it's a song. Our God is an amazing God, and he is faithful. He is faithful. We are all called to be Elijah's. We are all called to be David's. We are all called to be Deborah's. We are all called to be Mary's. We are all called to be Miriam's. We are all called to be Jael's. We are all called to be Brock's, Samson's, so forth. In our own bodies, in our own souls, with our own name. Remember, the shepherd knows his sheep by name, and he calls us all by name. That's why John the Baptist was still John the Baptist. You know, he came in the spirit of Elijah. But he was still himself, such as it is with all of his people. History has gone on, and God has controlled it and, and is sovereign over it up to our time. It is time that we take up the mantle now to carry on until Christ returns, until the parousia, until the second coming of our Savior. Until that day comes, from now until then, we must serve our God. Seek many people to come into the sheepfold for his glory, for the sake of his name, not ours. Would be to God that we have a great harvest. Would be to God that he, he causes, up to reap, causes us to reap many, but we are just the laborers. It's his harvest. It's his harvest, but would be to God he sends us out, and we can reap many, thousandfold, hundredfold, and infinitefold. That is what God deserves. That is what He deserves. He deserves an infinite harvest. He deserves the most beautiful and abundant bride, but He will not lose one. We must trust in His sovereignty as well. However, let this spark a fire in our hearts and in our souls to restore the kingdom, to restore all things for the name of our God. Now, until we reach glory, where, God willing, many of those who we don't even know, we didn't even know that we influenced to come to God, to come to Christ, we will join them in, in glory. What an amazing gift. What a fantastic gift that we get to share also on this side of glory as well. And we will consider some of that in our next message. Praise God. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life. <laughs>